one day I was walking into a convenience store and some, I ran into someone I know and they're like, Hey, how you doing today? And I just said like, without even thinking about it, I never have bad days. And I realized that I hadn't for months had any bad days. And I went, wow, I never have bad days, you know, and I just embraced that and I made it part of me. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. The host for today is Chad Harris, my dad, who likes to tell us Louis L'Amour stories around the campfire. Okay, welcome everybody. I am super excited to have on the show today, uh, Jeff Holtz out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I first met Jeff uh, a couple months ago. We were both speaking at the same conference and I heard a little bit about his story. And he is an apartment investor invest not in his hometown, a world traveler, has a unique uh, story for how he came to real estate. And so I know you're going to enjoy the discussion and really benefit from it. So welcome, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me, Chad. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you. So so fill us in. What was, what was your background story? I know you have a unique story for how you came to real estate. Um, yeah, sure. So I mean, there's really two parts. And the first part is that I always really liked real estate. I mean, I've been interested in it since I was a kid. My parents had a few rentals, uh, I would say like uh, maybe five or six houses, something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have a huge exposure to like what I do now back then. Um, and I watched like, you know, I was the weird kid that like would be 14 and sneak out of his bedroom at like three in the morning to watch late night infomercials, like the Carlton right. sheets, no money down stuff and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, I mean, that's really weird for 14. I think, I think usually when you sneak out of your room late at night to do things, it's a little more nefarious than watch infomercials when you're 14. So, yeah. um, okay. but that, that was me. So I was was always interested in real estate but honestly I mean other than like reading about it and thinking about it I didn't really do a whole lot of investing um, in my young days and I went to um, college and then I was still thinking about real estate and I mean I even bought the Carlton Sheets course and reviewed that and I read you know books about real estate and all that stuff um, but I just kept going to college you know I worked at a 7-eleven I went to college during the day and worked there at night and um and then I finally, uh, after about 10 years of college, because I went way, way too long to college, um, with, and I wasn't like failing out of classes. I was like um, getting, piling up degrees, right? So I have like a, a associates and a bachelor's and a master's and a law degree. So I mean, I did like all this, like, you know, literally like, that, yeah, yeah I, and I did, I did the first few years, I kind of just eh, I messed around. I did some traveling and stuff. But the last like five years of college, I was super focused. I did a, a law degree and a master's degree in about a five year period. Um, wow. And actually in four and a half years, and it's five, it's five years of coursework in four and a half years, actually. So I went through the summers and, you know, did all that stuff. But, um, but when I was in law school, I met this guy that was, um, uh, he's a partner of mine now, but uh, at the time he was flipping houses to pay for law school. And I was like, man, that's brilliant. I wish I had that kind of motivation. Um, and I did one deal with him in law school. So my first like investment real estate deal was a flip that I did when I was in my second year of law school. Um, and I never saw the house. Uh, I never went to it. I just put up a little bit of money. And this is like stupid, cheap Detroit property. So it was like, I think we bought the place for $5,000 and we did a double closing and ended up selling it for like, I, it was like 30,000. So I mean, it was a good return, wow. but it was, but we had to escrow a bunch of money to do some repairs, you know? So it was a thing where like we made like $10,000 or something like that. Um, which was still great because it was like, you know, I got, you know, basically double up my my share of the money, like without doing yeah. anything and without thinking about it. And that kind of gave me passive. the bug. Yeah, yeah, it was super great. Um, of course, the uh, my partner, you know, he, Travis, he's, he's super awesome. And, I, you know, but he doesn't always put deals together like that. That one just happened to work out really well. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I happened to get in on a, a really good one. Um, and then I was going to do more. And, you know, I was distracted. I was in law school. And then I started this little law firm. 
uh, well, I, I joined my dad's firm and then he quickly, um, like literally within like months of me starting working for him, decided that he wanted to focus on business. And he uh, mm. had started a trucking company and he moved his company to Chattanooga. And so I found myself with a small law firm with just me as an attorney, uh, you know, a few months after law school. And, uh, and it was, it was okay. I mean, we, we were doing um, a general practice, you know, uh, bankruptcy, divorce, criminal, like a little bit of everything. Um, and I ended up growing the firm, hiring a couple of attorneys um, and focusing almost exclusively on bankruptcy. Uh, and this was like, 2007, 2008, 2009, mm, right? Wow. So it was like a really good time to be doing bankruptcy work. Yeah. Um, and I mean, actually, 2008 was really the first half of the year went super, super well for me. Um, I had made this, uh, yeah, this is sort of background stuff, but I think it's, it's relevant to my story. I made this list of things that I wanted to see in my life when I was 20. Um, and it was like, you know, the pyramids and uh, the Coliseum and, and Machu Picchu down in Peru. And I, I kind of checked all this stuff off my list. And when I was 30 at 2008, I went to Machu Picchu and it was the last thing on my list. So it was like August of 2008. I was in Machu Picchu. I just finished my, you know, bucket list, if you will. Wow. And I had this law firm. I mean, everything was going really well. We even had a television commercial, right? So like we were one of those guys, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I got a voicemail while I was, uh, when I came off of the mountain in Machu Picchu, I listened to my voicemail on a payphone because this is like, you know, pre like global cell phones. Like I had a cell phone, but you couldn't use it in Peru. And um, so I'm listening to this voicemail and it's from this attorney that works for me saying that he's decided to go out on his own and start his own practice. Okay, that sucks, but I'll deal with it when I get home, right? Yeah. And um a week later, I got home. I was not feeling well. We had been swimming in the Amazon, um, and I thought I had picked up a parasite or something. So I went to the med center. Uh, they did some routine blood work trying to figure out what it was. And I got a call on Saturday night. Like, this is the first week of September, literally like a week after I'd been back from the Amazon. Uh, and they told me I had leukemia. Uh, and that uh, my white wow. blood cell count was like stupid high. Um, like 258, supposed to be like four, right? <laughs> like something was really, wow. really bad. Yeah. Like four to 10 is normal. And I was in the 250s. Um, I didn't know anything about leukemia at the time, you know, except for it sounded bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, I did know that my cousin had died of leukemia and she died um, a few years before that. And her white blood cell count had gotten up to like 150. So when I heard 250, Whoa. I was like, yeah, I'm dead. Basically, you know, I accepted it. Um, and I thought, well, a couple things at the same time. One was, man, I should have had a longer bucket list because I kind of felt like, you know, crossing that last thing <laughs> off might have been a mistake a week earlier, right? <laughs> um, and then uh, the second thing was, uh, you know, I didn't really want to die. Um, I wanted to stay alive, but I had to accept that I probably was going to die. Um, and so I remember my dad came into the ER that night and he said something like, this is September, right? He said something like, if you live till February, I'll take you to Australia. And I thought, well, that sounds cool. I'd like to go to Australia. But I said to him, I'm just hoping to make it till Christmas. You know, mm -hmm. that, that was my goal right then. That day, I was like, I need to make it till Christmas. And, um, you know, sort of a, a tangential side note, I, when I was 17, I gave up on bad days. Um, this was a challenging day, right? It really was. Yeah. But but I had made this decision years before I was never going to have another bad day. And I really feel like I've never had one since I was 17. I mean, this is like 25 years now. Because um, it was my birthday a couple of days ago. And it was so it's literally 25 years. And um, that day in the hospital, my brother came in and he said to me, he said, I bet you're having a bad day now. He was almost excited about it. Like he was like, Hey, look, you finally <laughs> had a bad day. Or something yeah. The yeah. I mean, he has a streak too. That's pretty impressive. My brother hasn't vomited since the last millennium. That's that pretty impressive. Pretty that's a, yeah. yeah. It was uh, literally New Year's Eve um, in 1999. That, that was the last <laughs> time he vomited. Um, so I, I can't break that streak. Um, that's, it's a really good one for him, but um, but for me, the no bad day streak goes even longer. So, you know, screw That's awesome. it, Bob. So what's yeah. the secret? I mean, everybody would love to be able to do that. What's what's your secret to that? Um, you know, so it's a muscle reaction. It's conditioned response. So it doesn't happen immediately. But what happened to me is I was having sort of a, 
you know, this is high school angst, right? Like, uh, I don't know, a problem with my girlfriend or something. And I was like all depressed, not, not clinically depressed. I want to be really clear about this. Um, some people are clinically depressed and this isn't like a magic trick, right? It's not like you can just will away a medical condition. I'm talking about like people that are just like normal everyday. I mean, not that the other people aren't normal, but just, you know, you're, you're normal everyday. Uh, I have a bad day. I have a good day. Today sucked. Today was great. If you're doing that kind of thing, um, you can really choose how you frame it. Right. I mean, cause good stuff and bad stuff happens to everyone. Yeah. I mean, some stuff is real bad, like getting leukemia. Um, that, that wasn't fun. Um, but there was a lot of good stuff that happened that week. I'd gone to Peru. I got to see Machu Picchu. Um, but more than that, I got diagnosed at 10 o'clock at night. So if I let something that happens at 10 o'clock at night ruin what happened earlier in the day, then, uh, you know, I mean, it's not even rational, right? Like, like I had a good day. Like I was watching heroes and I liked that show, <laughs> you know, like, and my car was still running and, you know, I uh, had medical insurance, you know, there's a lot of things that could have been worse. And so I just try to frame stuff like that. And so when I was 17, I said, um, I said, you know, today I'm 17. I live in America. I'm healthy. Uh, and I shouldn't be having a bad day. So I'm just going to declare today's a good day. And I just said, today's a good day. And I said that to myself in the mirror. Uh, I was in the bathroom at the time when I had this revelation. And I wish that I thought of it like, you know, 10 years earlier when I was seven, because it's really game changing stuff. And then the next day I woke up and it wasn't a good day. It's not like it was magic, right? I didn't just decide mm. to have a good day. It happened. But instead of like letting that bog me down, I thought, well, it could be worse. I, you know, I have a car and my car's still running. So I'm going to like think about that. And I would say every time I looked in a mirror, every time I started my car, every time, um, you know, I got something to eat, every time one of my friends said something nice to me, I thought, man, today's a good day. And I just kept thinking that over and over again. And when I was by myself, I would say it like 10, 20 times a day, right out loud, today's a good day. And I did that for months. Um, I don't do it every day anymore. But what happened is, um, I have a friend who quit drinking uh, about seven years ago, eight years ago. And I was talking to her just a, like a week or so ago. Um, about how hard it is in, you know, during this time. Cause like, you know, during coronavirus, people, people, mm. I don't know about you, but I'm drinking more than I ever have in my life. <laughs> and I'm not like, you know, I, I think I got under control, but, but like, if you were, you know, six months sober, um, how hard would it be? Right. Or you're yeah. six weeks sober. How hard would it be? Or you need to get sober. How hard would that be? Right. So I'm talking to her about this and she's, you know, seven, seven or eight years sober now. And she said to me, you know, it's such a huge part of my life. Like it's my identity not to be a drinker. So like, it's not that hard for me, but it would have been really Mm. hard if I was a year sober. And I think that's how I feel about bad days. Like by the time I got diagnosed with leukemia, not having bad days is such a huge part of myself and my life that it just, it was like, yeah, whatever, bad stuff happens. I'm going to move on. And even when I was thinking about dying and like thinking about whether I can make it till Christmas, I was like, you know what? I've had a really good life. Like if I die, it's okay. It's okay. Like it is what it is. And I felt bad for my wife and I, you know, I was worried about stuff and I didn't want to die. And you know, none of that. I love my life. I still do. Um, but I also recognize that like, you know, some stuff's going to happen. That's good. And some stuff's going to happen. That's bad. You just got to try to focus on the good stuff. So I think that's super inspiring because, you know, it's very easy naturally to allow your day to ebb and flow with the circumstances you find yourself in. And, uh, and even more so, I know a lot of people end up with their identity being kind of what has happened to them or where they've ended up. And I think it's, it's really inspiring and freeing to think that I create my own identity. I can decide my own identity and I can decide how I'm going to want my perspective on every day, no matter what the circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, like, I I just want to be clear. It's not a magic trick, right? It's not like it's some of it's self delusion, but what I say to people when they're like, wow, like I wish I could have, you know, I wish I wouldn't have bad days because I say I never have bad days to someone like all the time. I'll walk into a gas station and they'll say, how are you doing today? And I'll say, I never have bad days. And then they always say, wow, that must be nice. And I'm like, it is, you should do it too. This is just a conversation I have, like <laughs> not the last six weeks because we've been locked down, but, but like, it's a conversation I normally have a couple of times a week with like strangers and out of those strangers, like there's like two or three responses I hear all the time. And like, one is like, 
well, that that's great for you, but it would never work for me. And then the other one is like, um, wow, it's like, uh, you know, like that's, that's amazing, but I don't believe you, you know, you're, you're, you're full of crap or whatever, you know, that's not, you don't really, you're just saying that. Right. Uh, but the truth is I'm, I'm not like, I really don't have bad days. And like, if you hung out with me all the time, you'd recognize that. But the second part is like, I do have bad stuff that happens to me. Right. So, um, you know, it's not like I, I go through every day and I'm perfectly happy all the time. I, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect like this. Right. But, uh, I, I try to just remember every day that, you know, there's good stuff that happens and I try to embrace those things. And after a while it becomes easier. Um, and that's what I tell people. It's like, you know, well, if it works for me, probably work for you too. But the thing is, even if it didn't work, like Chad, if today you said, I'm going to have a good day and today you had a good day and then tomorrow you had a good day. And then, you know, the next day you had a good day. I mean, then like three weeks from now, you had one bad day. You could be like, wow, Jeff, man, like you're so wrong. Like, like I can't give up bad days. Or you could be like, wow, I had 20 good days and only <laughs> yeah. one bad day. And normally right. I have half and half or whatever, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it's just incremental improvement. So but, um, you know, after that, I had even more challenging things happen. It wasn't really just the, the um, you know, getting sick. It was also like my law firm was falling apart. I told you one of my uh, attorneys quit a week before I was yeah. diagnosed. And, um, and so I went from having myself and one other attorney, because I had another one that, um, that had like moved away. So she was gone. So we went really from three attorneys to zero attorneys almost overnight. Um, Wow. And uh, that was a challenge. My partner, Travis, actually, and I wasn't partners with him then, you know, he's a law school friend that I'd done one deal with. He actually dropped his flipping business at that point and came and worked for me He's uh, for free when he refused to, you know, he refused to uh, take money from me and um, kept me so that I didn't have to like lose my law license. Because, you know, it turns out if you're in the hospital and you're the attorney of record and you don't deal with it, it's come back. It comes back on you anyway. Uh, like I might have not lost my law license, but it would have been a really big problem, right? Like, in 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 fairness, this is important, right? If you represent someone in a, a legal matter, it's really important to them and to their life that you take care of it, right? Like, if you're a criminal attorney yeah. and you just drop the ball and they go to prison over something they didn't do, that's a real problem. Yeah, or, you know, yeah. you mess up their divorce and they lose a bunch of stuff, or if you're doing their bankruptcy and now it gets screwed up and they don't get out of their debt or something, it, it can be a real problem. So you do need to take care of it. And Travis, you know, he came and took care of all that stuff for me um, when I couldn't work. Um, but we couldn't take new cases. We couldn't justify it. And we had a lot of overhead, right? $5,000 a week to break even. And we weren't bringing in any money. And, uh, and we piled up a bunch of debt really fast. I didn't work for 10 weeks at all. And then, and then maybe another 10 or 20 weeks after that, I really didn't work very much. Uh, I was lucky uh, in that the type of leukemia I have is very treatable. Um, if I had been diagnosed a few years earlier, I wouldn't have survived, but they had come out with a new drug. That's like a miracle pill. I still take it now. It's like uh, $20,000 a month. Fortunately, insurance oh, pays for it, yeah. but uh it's a one a day pill and it keeps the cancer away. So, you know, it's like an apple a day. It's, you know, my Gleevec a day and I'm good. Um, I still have to do follow-ups and stuff, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it was bad and we piled up a bunch of debt and uh, ultimately a year or so later I ended up bankrupt. And uh, that was probably harder in a lot of ways than um, getting sick. Cause you know, you get sick and people are like, well, that sucks, you know, sorry that happened to you. You file bankruptcy, it doesn't really matter like what what caused it. People are mm. like, oh, you failed. <laughs> you know, even if they don't yeah. say that, you know they're thinking that or you think it, right? Um, you think, wow, that, that really, I really failed. But you have to remember something that made it even worse for me was that I was a bankruptcy attorney, right? So yeah. I had to go in front of people I worked with every day and be like, hey, uh. I'm out of money, sorry, can't do it anymore. Um, and that was really tough. I mean, it really was. Uh, but again, I mean, I didn't like, I remember sitting there, um, at the bankruptcy hearing, they do these things, um, where they basically question you to make sure you're telling the truth. You swear under oath that you, you know, everything's true. And, um, and I was sitting there in front of this trustee and it was a trustee that, you know, I knew reasonably well, had probably done a hundred cases in front of him myself personally. Um, and, uh, right before the thing started, he said to me, you know, I'm really sorry you're having to go through this. And, 
you know, I didn't really, I mean, honestly, like hopefully he's not watching your show, but he's probably a giant fan because everyone is. But, um, but uh, you know, I didn't really like the guy before that. I really, I thought he was kind of a jerk and uh, he was a really tough bankruptcy trustee. I mean, I know he was just doing his job, but like he was the one I was like, man, I drew him and I was like, oh, wish I'd gotten a different trustee. It would have been a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> but he was really nice. And he just said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through this. Like, let's, let's just get through it and you know what to expect. And then we started. Um, mm. and, uh, and I really appreciated that. And, you know, that day, probably the hardest day since I gave up bad days was that day. Mm. Um, cause it was like, you know, I knew then I was closing my law firm down. I couldn't do it anymore. I was out. Um, and we were quitting. I was having my wife quit her job and we were going to go work for my dad. And you don't want to do that. Like you don't like want to just have to drop everything, move across country and take a job at all. And you definitely don't want to do it if it's working for family. I love my dad, but that was tough too. Right. Um, and you know, you feel like a failure. Like I filed bankruptcy and now I have to go like to my dad and be like, Hey, give me a job. You know, (laughs) like now granted, um, I felt like I brought value to his company. I mean, I, and I, th- hopefully he thought that too. I think he did. Um, you know, I mean, I had an MBA and a law degree and I, you know, I had some experience that helped, but I was also sick and he didn't know what was going to happen to me. Like we still weren't sure if I was going to be okay or not. And so, you know, it was almost like a favor, like here, you can have this job. And I, um, you know, and, and, and it worked out okay though. I mean, it, I told him I'd work for him for two years. I ended up there six I'm still in Chattanooga now. I was in Michigan before that. Um, and, uh, you know, once I started working for him and started making a little bit of money, uh, that's when I got into real estate. I, I just oh, kind of okay. felt like, yeah, I just kind of felt like, you know, one, I don't want to work for my dad forever. So I need a plan. Two, I don't know that I'm going to live that long. Like I could still die. The cancer come back, whatever. And I want to make sure my wife's taken care of. Like she quit her job to move. Right. Um, and I said, I need to make sure that if something does happen to me, we have some assets. So I just really got super focused. This is 2010, 2011 um, when I started investing. So stuff was really cheap. So it was good yeah. timing. Um, we started out, we bought a condo in, um, in a really nice uh, area in, outside of Detroit, um, Birmingham, Michigan. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, but it's a really nice area. And it was a foreclosure. I bought it with Travis. Actually, he, uh, I was talking to him a lot then. Um, still, we're really great friends. And um, still talk to him pretty much every day. Uh, and you know, he said, Hey, I've got this deal. Like you want to split it with me? So we bought it for $30,000 cash, uh, 15,000 each. And we still own it now. It's probably worth 120 or something. So I, who knows, right. With this coronavirus stuff, it's hard to say, but it's rented out. We we pay the bills with it. And, uh, um, we just kept buying. And over the next several years, we bought quite a few properties. Um, and then I was able to quit working in 2017. So seven years, um, wow. Yeah. Well, like it was, was it 17 or 18? I guess it was, yeah, it was 17. It was March of 17. My dad was getting ready to sell his company and they offered me a job at this big corporation that was buying his company. And I thought I can't go work. I have had enough time working for a small company. Like there's no way I'm going to be able to work for this big corporation. And so I was like, I got to get out. Uh, so I took a small severance. Uh, it was like six months pay. So, I mean, it wasn't nothing. Right. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to do real estate full time. And fortunately we had by that point, I think around 50 or so single family and small multis like duplexes, stuff like that. Um, so we were able to have some cash flow from that to sort of stabilize the income loss. I still make less than I did when I was working even now. Um, because I made really good money the last couple of years. Cause we, as we, made more and more and we're growing the company. I was getting higher and higher salary and some higher and higher bonuses, but, um, it's all right. It's worth it. I mean, it's, Oh, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a hundred percent worth it. Look, I spent all of February in Africa. I went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, in Africa. That's I get awesome. to go, Oh, it's, it's so hard though. <laughs> it was like the <laughs> hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but that was a dream of mine for many, many years. So I was really happy to be able to do that. But like I traveled probably, um, you know, 15 or 20 weeks a year right now, uh, cruises, um, leisure travel, but then also like, you know, conferences, like we, you know, we met at a conference, but I I do other ones. Um, right now it's really weird for me. I'm supposed to be in Egypt, right? This, like this minute I'm supposed to be in Egypt. Really? Uh, Yeah. And I was going to go with a friend of mine who's 79 years old and has wanted to go to Egypt his whole life. And we were just going to go wander around Egypt together. Um, and I love Egypt. It's great. I've been there four times. Um, but, um, 
you know, it didn't work out. So hopefully, uh, you know, we make it through this coronavirus thing and uh, I can take my friend to Egypt. And That's right. Yeah. Egypt and so that will be there. Yeah. Well, Egypt <laughs> will. And, and hopefully uh, the two of us will too. But That's I mean, the right. thing is like, yeah, the freedom of not having a regular job is huge. I mean, I still have responsibilities. I still have things I have to do. Um, after I quit working, I started focusing on multifamily. So we, we bought our first uh, apartment complex, a 12 unit in, uh, in October of that year. So about six months after I quit working, the second one was in November of that year. It was a 19 unit. Um, and then we bought a 32 unit in uh, the next March. Wow. And then, uh, yeah. And so we just started ramping up and, you know, I did this stuff with all with partners, uh, uh, with Travis, a lot of it, but, um, I also started a, um, a real estate podcast of my own, uh, the old fashioned yeah. real estate show, where we just uh, get drunk on old fashions like bourbon old fashions and talk about real estate. And, uh, and, uh, my partner in that Brian and I, we, we started buying some stuff in Chattanooga together. So you said at the beginning, I don't invest in Chattanooga. That's actually not a hundred percent accurate. I would say 80% of my stuff still in the Metro Detroit area. Okay. Uh, but I do have, um, I have, a, a some investments here in Chattanooga. I have, uh, so we have two apartment complexes, a couple of duplexes, and then we have an office building and a strip mall in Chattanooga. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's been really great. I mean, I love the real estate stuff, but like I told you off air, like my passion is really helping people um, recognize that, you know, you don't have to have bad days and that, that it's possible to use your mindset to overcome an awful lot of adversity. It's not magic though. You know I mean? It's not like it's all mindset. There's hard work involved there's time involved and there's a lot of luck involved, right? Like my timing is amazing, but that was luck, right? Like if I'd gotten leukemia in 2005 and started buying real estate in 2007, it would have been a lot different of a scenario. Right. Yeah. Diagnosed yeah, in 2008, totally different story. Right. Um, now I don't know that I would have started investing at those high prices. So, I mean, some of it's that too, right. But I don't think I'm like a particular genius when it comes to timing market cycles. I mean, I think about it a lot now. Um, and we've been preparing for a downturn for a while because we thought something would come. Um, didn't think it would be this, right? I mean, right. Like, nobody can predict this. Yeah. Well, some people did. I mean, I, I remember talking to Harry Dent Jr. I don't know if you or any of your listeners know who that is, but he's a best selling author. And I was talking to him, um, sort of a weird story, but I, I ended up uh, sitting at a bar with him in Puerto Rico for a couple hours uh, last summer. Nice. Uh, and I, and he was telling me he thinks that a major stock market and real estate correction was coming and he's been predicting this for a while. And he's like, look, I don't know what the trigger is going to be. It could be like, you know, like some kind of like weird um, computer virus or it could be like a global pandemic or it could just be like, um, you know, something like last time where the subprime stuff triggered it. He said, you know, just there's going to be something that pops this bubble and whatever it is, it's going to be really hard and really fast. It's going to be like nothing we've ever seen. And I was like, oh, Harry, he's always predicting disaster. What does he know? And I'm like, <laughs> man, I should have listened to that guy because that was in August. And, you know, here we are now. Wow. And then I emailed him the other day and I was like, dude, you could have told me about this pandemic at least a couple of weeks earlier than you did, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's a really good guy. So if you guys ever, uh, you know, find yourself uh, at an event where he's there, just walk up and talk to him. He's really friendly. So, sure, sounds good. So, take me through, if you don't mind, a couple of like the structure of because everybody or very many people want to someday leave their job, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and go into real estate full time. So you said you had mainly singles and doubles. I did. And, yeah, uh, you were you were partnering with those, you know, how were you buying those? How were you managing those? What was that? Yeah. Like? So, so my partner, Travis, he's got a property management company in Detroit. So, um, okay. and so he manages all of our stuff that we have up there and he manages his own stuff and then he manages for third parties also. Um, so even stuff that I wouldn't partner with him, if it was in Metro Detroit, then I would, you know, he'd be managing it for me. Um, same with this stuff here, like Travis and I have a few things in Chattanooga now together. And, uh, you know, obviously he doesn't spend as much time focused on those as I do. Right. So, yeah. So the management's kind of taking care of itself because of that. Um, but we started out, you know, we bought that first deal for cash. Um, the second deal, 
uh, was in the same building. Uh, it was about a month later and it was another foreclosure. Again, balance on the mortgage was 90,000 and they were short selling it for 35. And we're like, wow, that sounds wow. like a great deal. So we, yeah. we bought that. Um, I was out of cash because, you know, I'd saved up like $20,000 in six months. I mean, working super hard, not spending any money, right? Because um, I remember I had just gone bankrupt, so I had no assets to speak of. In fact, I still had a negative net worth because like, um, you know, student loans don't go away in bankruptcy, right? So I have my student yeah. loans, uh, $100,000 in student loans from going to college for 10 years, like I told you earlier. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, no assets to speak of. Um, but I didn't have any other debt, right? So I could pay my student loan payment, uh, 500 bucks a month. Um, still pay that now, which is sucks. But I, it's also such cheap money. It's hard to justify paying it off, you know. Um, but I had the student loans and then I had um, uh, a, a tiny bit of savings because you're allowed to keep a certain amount of money in bankruptcy depending on what state you're in. It's really complicated and way beyond the scope of this call. But, uh, um, but I had a little bit of money, but I mean, basically I had to save up money, right? So I saved up this money and then I paid 15,000 of my savings, which was very scary to me. Um, and even more scary to my wife at the time, this is where mindset really helps, right? I was like, mm. look, I have to do this. Like I might die. Like I have to do this, like $15,000 in the bank. $15,000 is going to go away really fast if my salary goes away because I die. Right. Yeah. But well, if we yeah. have this condo yeah, that yeah. we have this condo that we were going to rent for $700 a month. And I was like, okay, after all the expenses, it's going to pay me like $200 a month. Well, $15,000 does not generate $200 a month in interest. Right. It just doesn't. Right. So we were like, we got to figure this out. Um, well, anyway, flash forward a few weeks, this new one comes up. I don't have any money. Um, and my partner, he says, you know, since it's in the same building as us and we kind of got lucky, like we named the LLC after the building. So the building's like, you know, one, two, three main street. And it's like unit five, right. That we bought. And then it's like the second one comes up. It's one, two, three main street, like unit seven or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and our company's called one, two, three main street LLC, right. Or whatever. Right. So, um, so we have this company and he's like, well, I feel like we should buy it with this company because if we're going to buy another, you know, unit in the same building, this company should own it. And I was like, well, you're going to have to loan the money to the company then because I don't have any more money. So the second deal, my partner loans the money to the company. Um, to buy it. Sure. Right? And then eventually we were able to refi and pay it off. So that worked out pretty good. Um, then we had these um, paid off condos, right? Um, and so we took mortgages against them, small mortgages, $25,000 on each one. And we used that to partner with another uh, private money guy. Actually, the guy took, what happened is um, we wanted to buy this con or this duplex for $75,000, let's say. It was something like that. I don't remember exactly. It's a while ago. Uh, and we took, we each, we took these two $25,000 mortgages. And then the guy who gave us that money for those mortgages, this private money guy, he yeah. also puts in 25,000 and we formed this company where we each put in $25,000, right? Like we distributed the 50,000 we got. So I got 25, Travis gets 25. And then we each put 70, you know, $25,000 into this new company and we buy this duplex. Uh, hmm. So the third one was really like a hybrid uh, private money deal, right? With a partner. Right. And, um, and it was 6% interest only money. It was really, it was a really good deal for the partner because he was able to get into a deal he wouldn't otherwise know about. Um, and he gets 6% on 50,000 of the 75,000 that he put in. Right. But he gets yeah. to own a third of this deal at the same time. So he gets 6% on, on, you know, 50 grand and then he gets a third of the deal and he liked the deal. And so then he put in some more money into the company. He just loaned money to this new company we formed so we could buy an, another deal. Um, and so we did that a few times. So he was just loaning money to the company and then we'd go buy stuff and he'd own a third of it. And he'd get interest on his money. Um, sure. and we still do deals like that. It's just, uh, um, and, and in fact, uh, just the other day, I bought an apartment complex like that. I had a couple of guys each loan uh, $75,000 to the com new company that we formed. They each got 10% of the company. Um, and we put $150,000 down on this uh, apartment complex. And uh, my other partner and I each got 40%. And we put none of our own money in. Uh, and, uh, you know, so sort of like a hybrid private money equity deal. Um, now you got to be careful with that kind of structure. I mean, honestly, it's way beyond the scope of what we talked to that you have to make sure you're not violating securities and exchange commission rules. Uh, make sure your partners are active and involved because if you're taking raising money from private investors and they're, 
you know, they're not active investors in the deal, um, then you're really selling securities and you have to, you have to comply with the securities and exchange commission rules. So there's all kinds of, there's ways to around that, but you have to follow the rules. Um, so, you know, get a good attorney involved. Don't just like, you know, set these deals up on a handshake or something. Make sure you're doing it from day one moving forward that you're on the right side of those rules. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You don't want the SEC coming down on you. Now, look, they're not going to uh, come down on you if you, uh, you know, if you make an innocent mistake, I don't think. Uh, but if you make an innocent mistake and then somebody loses money, you're at extreme risk. Um, and the penalties are very severe. Um, so you don't want to go down those route. You want to just do it right the first way. And that's where you hire a good attorney. Um, I like to think I hire good attorneys. I'm not the person you should hire. I don't practice law anymore. I don't want to practice law. Um, I have a couple of licenses, and but I want to be clear that this is not to be construed as legal advice. It's like, go get your own <laughs> right. attorney and like make sure that you, uh, you, you get good advice before you do these kind of deals. And that's true of any partnership. So then we just did a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, we just found people to put money in and then we started you know we flipped some stuff and raised some money and bought some more stuff um and that's how we got to that you know first about 40 50 units that we had when i sure it's a really creative way to do it Um, well i didn't have a choice right no credit no money so I, I had to figure it out. Right. And, you know, I didn't know <laughs> at the time. That is motivation, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And I thought I was dying and I wanted to make sure my wife was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I was like, I have to do it. I don't have a choice. I can't wait. I mean, I'd waited, you know, 10 years of like reading books and watching infomercials and not, not doing anything. And then I was extremely motivated because I was sick and, and, you know, I thought, well, I have to do this now. It's my only chance. Yeah. And uh, I try to live my whole life that way now, you know, going back to the mindset stuff. It's like, I try to recognize that you do only have one shot at this life, right? You know, it's our last life ever. Uh, it really is. And I, that's a that's a subtle plug for my uh, Facebook group. By there the way, you go. Yeah. Um, but I really think that like it's last life ever. You know, you only live once. Um, and you have to like live the best version of your life. And so that's why I like to come on shows like this. Like um, I do sometimes syndicate deals and raise money from people. And, you know, if people want to reach out to me. They can talk to me about that. That's cool. But that's not why I come on the show. You know, I come on the show um, mainly because I really want to help people with the mindset stuff. And I really appreciate you letting me talk about that stuff because not having bad days is amazing. And everyone that possibly can should give up bad days because there's no upside to having a bad day. You know, you you can't bury your head in the sand and ignore the bad stuff. Like if I did that, I'd be dead, right? I wouldn't take my drugs. I wouldn't go to the hospital, right? You have to take care of stuff, but you don't have to let that bad stuff ruin your day or your outlook. Um, And, you know, it's worked out really well for me. And I think it works out well for people, even if they don't want to be in real estate. It doesn't really matter. Right. But I, I think, you know, our mindset affects everything. Too often we talk about it like, you know, I hear people talk about it in business, at least like, well, I'm just enduring until I make it or I can put up with this for this amount of time. And if we have a bad um, outlook in business or struggle with business, that's going to affect our family life. Just like if we're struggling in our family life, that's going to affect our business. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. If we can control our mindset, I mean, that affects everything that affects our personal life, our business life, whatever we're involved in. So um, I think that's huge to be able to control that. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I completely agree. And like, it's not, again, you know, it's not like it's always going to be perfect. Your mindset's going to vary from day to day, from week to week, from minute to minute. Some days I have days where I'm just like, man, this day is a lot harder than it should be. Yeah, I, I don't let it ruin my day, but, but you know, even if it's not bad stuff happening, some days you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're just kind of in a crappy mood and you just got to power through that stuff. You know, um, having a morning routine can really help. Um, I've been really bad about this since we've been in coronavirus, but I try really hard to make, you know, gratitude a part of my morning, like wake up in the morning and think positive things. Um, sure. you know, the mantra of saying I never have bad days is really helpful. So if I feel particularly grumpy, sometimes I just have to remind myself that I'm the guy who doesn't have bad days. And then yeah. I come on shows like this and tell everyone I never have bad days. And then I don't have a choice, right? Cause it's stuck. Like if I have a bad day, then people are going <laughs> to laugh at me. So, uh, so if you can't be super public about it by coming on Chad's show and telling everyone you don't have bad days, you can at least tell your friends and family. You know, you've decided to give up bad days. It makes it, it's a powerful motivator, that social pressure. Um, it works both ways, though. 
sometimes people don't believe you and you have to like power through it. Like if I said to Chad, I don't have bad days. And he's like, that's crap. You're lying. You know, <laughs> like, well, yeah, I could see you're going to get yeah. opposition real quick. Yeah, you do. Yeah. It's a, you know, especially when you're like, Oh yeah, you had a bad day yesterday. And you're like, yeah, but that was yesterday. I don't do that anymore. I gave it up today. Um, you know, your uh, spouse or kids or family might be like, you're crazy. Um, you that's know, not how it works, but it yeah. is actually how it worked for me. On a related note, my father, I worked with my father off and on for years, and he had a habit of when, you know, people, he would see them and they would ask, how are you or how are you doing? And he would say, I'm great, wonderful, outstanding, couldn't be better. Every time somebody asked him how he was doing, that, yeah. that answer. And not only, you know, I worked with him, I knew whether it was circumstantially a good day or a bad day. Sure. But you could see his spirits get brighter when he said it. The person he was talking to, they were more upbeat when he said it. And the words we say matter, you know, no, the they definitely we put do. in our head matter so much. So we shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I always look at it this way. It's like you point yourself where you want to go. Um, you might not, you know, might not hit the exact spot, but you're much more likely to end up in a positive place if you aim at positive things. And if mm. you start saying positive things, that's one way of like sort of steering the ship because like your brain is going to think what it thinks. But if you are forcing certain thoughts into your head more often than not, it's going to change the way you think. It's just, it will do that. Um, and well, it doesn't solve whether you have leukemia or not. Like I said, not a magic trick, but at the same time, it does, um, allow you to stay positive about it and you can be in the hospital and be making plans for the future, even though you're in the hospital. Right. And you can, yeah. you can be thinking about things like, you know, uh, you know, I remember one day and I, I don't think I've ever said this on an interview before, but I remember one day I was in the hospital, like a day or two after I was diagnosed, my wife finally had gone home to like sleep because she'd been at the hospital for quite a while. Um, and I was there by myself. And there was this nurse there that actually had been a babysitter of mine when I was a kid, right? And I'm walking mm -hmm. around the halls and I've got an IV pole. I'm, I'm like walking around the halls. I'm kind of bored. I'm just wandering back and forth. And I saw this nurse um, and I hadn't seen her in probably like 10 or 15 years at this point, right? And I've only seen her once since then, since that day. Um, and so I didn't see her in like 10 or 15 years. It's just a weird coincidence. She happened to work on this floor that I was in, right? And I started talking to her and she's like, man, I was super sad to hear about this and everything. And, you know, I'm walking around and I'm talking to her a little bit and I'm thinking about my funeral, right? I'm thinking about my funeral. And I said to her, I said, listen, you need to come to my funeral. <laughs> so I said to her, that's where my mind was, right? And she's like, oh, you, you need to not think about that. Like, it's really important to be positive while you're, you know, while you're, going through this because you, you know and this is before I was diagnosed we knew I had leukemia we didn't know what kind right we didn't even know like what's going to happen next and she's like you need you need to be positive like people have a better attitude if they're positive and I'm like no I, I'm positive I'm positive that I'm going to die <laughs> that's what I said to her and she's like yes everyone dies eventually but it doesn't have to be right now and you don't even know what's going on and I was like no I get that I'm just like I want, I want to have something to plan for. And I feel like mm -hmm. if I'm planning for my funeral, it's something that's going to happen for sure. Like I can plan to like go to Europe in the spring, but I might not be alive in the spring, but I can plan my funeral right now. As I sit here in my head, I can come up with things for my funeral. And like, if my funeral isn't for a hundred years, I still didn't waste my time planning this funeral. Check it off the list. You're ready. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, and she was like, you're such a strange boy. You've been strange since I, <laughs> since, since I knew you when you were a little kid. And I was like, yeah, I know I am a little bit off. <laughs> um, but you know what, that interaction when I haven't really thought about it in a long time, that, that like, that actually really, I mean, it really did help me. Um, it helped me like, cause I was, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, I refused to say that I had a bad day, but I was struggling at that moment. And I had this conversation with this person that, you know, well, I mean, I knew who she was and she'd gone to my church when I was a kid and she had babysat us a few times, but it wasn't somebody that was a big, important person of my, in my life. Um, but what they said to me then, it really helped me. And um, I think 
that's where you're, you know, where words do matter, right? Like, like when, pe- when you talk to people, it's not just about what happens to you. Like when I say to someone at the gas station, I never have bad days, they may or may not be impacted by that, but they might be. And right. if they are, it benefits them. It doesn't bring them down. If I went in there and was like, oh man, today sucks. And like, everything's terrible. Then what's going to happen is they're going to take that in. Right. And the, mm-hmm. and the more times they take that in, the more likely their day is going to suck and be terrible also. Right. And if, if you are uplifting to everybody you meet in your day-to-day life, it's hard to measure that impact. Yeah, I know. I have no idea. A lifetime, you know. Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't even matter. Let's say one person had a better life because they met me. And I might not even know who that person is. It could be a person at a gas station or whatever, a cafe or something. If that one person had a better life because of it, it was worth me having that conversation. It was worth me having all the these conversations that I have over and over again. And, and besides that, I like it. It's, it's what I do, right? Like real estate is great. It pays my bills. But the Last Life Ever stuff, which is really, you know, that's my new podcast where we just talk about this kind of stuff. And like we talk to people that are doing extraordinary things and, and, and not necessarily like famous and rich people. I mean, we talked to like a lady the other day that she went through this terrible divorce and she decided to, um, she decided to take her kids on a uh, trip around the world. And this was in August. She got her divorce finalized in August. She and her kids decide that it'd be really cool if they could spend a semester traveling the world. And then in September, she took her four kids all in, you know, various ages uh, under the age of 15, uh, on a trip for 17 countries, five months wow, uh, from September. Awesome. And they just got home like this. This is, I mean, they literally just got home in, and I think February or March, right before the coronavirus thing, but they literally just went around the world and they like did, they got into like a world schooling thing, a, a school that allowed them to homeschool from wherever they were. They did their homework, they took their tests, but they studied cultures that they were in. You know, they went to Greece and studied uh, ancient Greek history. Sure. And then they took tests and classes on it. And that was what they were studying when they were in Greece. You know, I mean, how cool is that? Like, I'm like, man, how did your kids talk you into this? Because I'm like, I can't imagine. And and they're like, she's like, actually, it was their idea. And they just said it would be fun. And I was like, okay. You know, and I thought, wow, if someone can just make a decision like that and go just pack up and leave, like I want to talk to that person. And and if I want to talk to them, probably other people want to hear what they have to say too. And that's why we yeah. started the show. That's why we started the group just to help people. So um, how do recognize, people, yeah, find out, find that podcast, find your podcast. Um, yeah. Today. So, I mean, it's, it's called last life ever. Um, the podcast is, uh, it's easy to find if you Google it, but I mean, we have a Facebook group. So the easiest way is to find us on Facebook. Just type in last life ever. Um, otherwise, uh, last life ever.com. So last life ever.com. Um, that points to my personal website cause our last life website's being redeveloped right now. But, um, but you can find it from my personal website or from, from the Facebook group pretty easily. Um, okay. Yeah, that's, that's been really, I mean, that, that, that group has been really great for me. In fact, we have a book coming out on Friday. I don't know when the show comes out, so it might already be out by the time the show comes out. Right. Um, Yeah, it will. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so look for this book because, um, and I, I'm sorry about this. I hate pitching stuff without telling people in advance, but it just occurs to me. (laughs) So it's called the coronavirus collective, um, and or coronavirus collective and in stories of, I forget the subtitle, um, like life, hope, and love or something like that. But it's written by 25 different authors um, about what they're doing and what they're experiencing right now as they go through the coronavirus. Um, so sure. it's positive and uplifting stories of things that they're doing to deal with everything that's going on, um, how their life in, in experiences impacts their perspective right now. Um, one person writes about, you know, like, why it was important to her to do more cooking, right? Another person writes about how her growing up as a nomad in Mongolia, right, um, Hmm. has impacted her thinking about this, right? And how much impact something like this has on people like nomadic tribes in in Mongolia, right? Completely different. Her family um, 
doesn't live in, you know, like an apartment building and can't go to the store and buy food, right? Like, like she grew up literally like as a a nomad, right? Um, You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's so fascinating. And I mean, one, one lady wrote about um, how she, you know, how she decided to stay with her mission. She runs a mission in in Mozambique um, where she tries to save people uh, and, and is successful at saving people actually from sex trafficking. Like she, she saves these women. They go into these, these houses and take these women out of the houses and then they provide them with food and clothing and, and training so that they can start a life, uh, wow. taking care of themselves and how she thought that that mission was more important than like, say going home to the relative safety of America where, cause like it, it's difficult in Africa. Like I have friends in Africa right now that are like, they're struggling. Like it's difficult here, but we can still go to Walmart. Right. Like in Africa, um, yeah, I mean, these people don't live paycheck to paycheck. They live day to day. You know, they, they, they don't make money today. They don't have food today. Um, and it's not true of everyone, obviously, but a significantly higher proportion of people there are in that. And they don't have the social, you know, they don't have a stimulus plan to bail them out. They don't have um, mortgages, so they don't have to worry about their mortgage, but it, they do have to worry about buying food, right? And if they can't buy yeah. food today, because they don't have refrigerators in some cases, like it's not even like they can store this stuff, right? right. Um, you know, they buy food for, for the week or for the day and that's it. You know, they can't have stuff for three, four, five, six weeks at a time like we can. Um, uh, at least not, not in many cases. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's just all this great stuff in there. And then the really cool part about the book is we're donating a hundred percent of the net profits to charities. So it's, uh, it's just gonna, you know, feed hungry people and provide water for people in Africa, you know, stuff like that. And so we really, I really am excited about it. It's it's, like I said, it comes out May 1st. So, you know, when it probably will be out when this comes out. Okay. Um, uh, and they'll yeah. be on Amazon. So I would, you know, encourage you to check it out and, and obviously buy tons of copies because the money's going to charity and it will be benefiting them. Um, and so that's something I've been working on actually. And that's really helped me mindset wise, um, because I kind of was in a funk for a few weeks, you know, I was, like I said, I was, you know, maybe drinking too much and, um, eating too much and not working out enough and not, not getting as much work done as I wanted. And we had this idea for this book and we started reading these chapters as they came in. And I was like, wow, this is really inspiring. This is my favorite chapter. And then the next one came in. I'm like, wow, this is my favorite chapter. (laughs) And then the other day on the last life ever, my partner, Jillian asked me what my favorite chapter was. And I was like, all of them, <laughs> you know, I don't even know, right? Like every single one was really great. Um, so then I told her it was hers cause I figured, you know, I might as well lie uh, to her and, well, and make her happy. <laughs> I think she knew immediately I was uh, just saying that because <laughs> it was one of those things, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been really good to read that. And so, um, I think it, it provides a sort of unique window into this time period. So it's awesome. Well, I encourage everybody to check out the book. It sounds great. Uh, sounds like it'd be inspiring to the reader and knowing that all the, the proceeds go to charity and we'll make a difference there too. Yeah. I'll, so. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely try to get one for you, Chad. So, hey, so you, appreciate you can it. have one. Sounds good. So I appreciate you coming on today. I know, uh, everybody's going to benefit from your insights oh, and uh, just you. ideas about how to control their perspective and have a good outlook and and knowing that will affect every uh, aspect of their life so i appreciate it jeff yeah thanks for having me on i really enjoyed it yeah and for everybody listening i'd encourage you to uh, really take to heart what jeff's talked about and look at your perspective day to day and really make sure you are taking control of your perspective having a good outlook being positive working towards your dreams and goals, and and always uh, continue to build your dream life one door at a time. So thanks again, Jeff, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey. Music